Welcome to FedSpeak. I'm Pedro da Costa. I'm excited to have with us today Dennis Lockhart, former president of the Atlanta Fed, to discuss the Fed's rate hike last week and the hawkish signal sent by Chair Powell and other FOMC members about the tightening prospects for this year and beyond. Welcome to the podcast, Dennis. Thank you, Pedro. Good to be with you. Thanks so much for being here. So I wanted to talk about the Fed's hawkish pivot, you might even say a pirouette. Um, You know, from they went from pricing in just three rate hikes as of the uh, December SCP to as many as seven in in March, as you know, and there's even talk of 50 basis point rate hikes. So to begin with, is the Fed's pivot an admission that it has already, in effect, committed a policy error? I don't think I would go that far, Uh, Pedro. um, If you judge from Chairman Powell's recent commentaries where he's uh, still describing a soft landing, which is clearly a hope for outcome, um, I, I, you know, I don't read him or the committee as admitting something as extreme as a policy error. And of course, it takes time to judge whether the Fed actually made such an error. And it really will be up to the historians that look back on this period of trying to deal with inflation. I would call it something closer to a policy faux pas, meaning uh, they were a bit late to the party. If you want to think in terms of the, the proverbial party, they arrived late, but have not failed to show up. Uh, so, uh, and, and, that's, and that's because they misread evolving conditions. But I would also give them credit for the capacity to act in response to evolving conditions uh, and to uh, act aggressively. So my answer to your question is no, I don't see it as a tacit admission of a policy error, but I, I do see it as a recognition that they misread how the circumstances were evolving. And what are the prospects for a soft landing since you mentioned that term? Chair Powell seemed to make the case that they're more common than the Fed has given credit for. But, you know, given that they are playing a little bit of catch up and the inflation rate has gotten further away from them than they, they wished, how, you know, how tight a balance are they walking as they seek to, you know, prevent inflation from taking off while not engendering some kind of downturn? It's a tightrope walk, in my opinion. Um, I would say that the fan chart of plausible scenarios or plausible futures is quite wide, particularly if you include uncertainties related to the Ukraine war, the Ukraine situation. I think they're going to need some good luck, um, especially on the inflation front. They're going to need some relief uh, from supply constraints. Uh, and that's not something that the FOMC or the or the Fed can have much influence on directly. Uh, but they need that relief while they're damping down uh, demand, but not so much as to precipitate a an, a, a, an employment killing slowdown. So if that describes a tightrope walk, I think uh, that's probably an apt phrase. If we ignore for for the moment the really great uncertainty that's associated with the Ukraine situation, 
I would say that U.S. economic conditions are not so stark. They're not so advanced that the Fed has to orchestrate a hard landing to achieve its inflation objective. So I think there's hope for a soft or softish landing, and it remains plausible. Okay. And, and do you believe that, you no, know, the SCP, we know that the SCP is a snapshot in time, right? Because it's changed quite a bit in the last few iterations. So we could be, you know, we could trend hawkishly and then move in the other direction if inflation were to cooperate, if you will. And I wonder if you think that the Fed's hawkish messaging at the moment is an effort in part to con control inflation expectations or whether they will in fact have to deliver on all the rate hikes they promised and maybe go a bit above neutral even to, to get this inflation under control. Well, let me, before I answer your question directly, let me, let me make a, what I think is an instructive editorial comment. And that is the SEP dots, the SEP uh, numbers are projections at a point in time by individuals and I would distinguish a projection from a forecast. A projection really is a hoped for set of outcomes if all goes well. A forecast is closer to being a prediction of what was, what's going to happen in the future. These are projections. They will change each quarter as things evolve. So it's quite possible to overinterpret the messaging or the signal that's coming out of this, the SEPs, the, the summary of economic projections. And we should remember, it's not a coordinated committee message. It's simply what 16, 17 participants in the process hope for in the coming months. So, um, you know, your question really relates to can the economy handle this? Isn't that, is that the, the gist sure. of the question? Well, let's catalog exactly what's going to add up over the coming months. You have 25 basis points done. Very likely 25 or 50, and I don't rule out 50 at all, at the May meeting. And then depending on how conditions evolve, further hikes at the June and July meetings, if world conditions allow, it's not totally impossible that there is a major shock that develops out of the Ukraine situation. But assuming for the moment that we can put the Ukraine situation a little bit aside, I think US economy can handle that amount of tightening. I see some very strong elements in the current economic picture. They include, uh, for example, consumer activity that is backed up by a combination of pent up demand and very strong household balance sheets. So the, the, um, the, both the money to spend and the desire to spend are there. Uh, uh, the second key element is a very low unemployment rate. And we know from studies for years that one of the big factors in consumer spending is their outlook for employment stability. So you have an environment in which 
not only do people feel pretty, uh, you know, pretty stable in terms of their current employment, they see a market in which they could probably get another job if they had to anyway. So um, those are strong points. I don't see those as points in our economic circumstances that are all that fragile, quite frankly. So it just seems to me that a hundred basis points or so in the coming few meetings, uh, and you add to that the, the, the beginning of a long process of quantitative tightening, the shrinking of the balance sheet, all of that I think can be absorbed under current circumstances. Maybe that's why the Fed's not that concerned about a flattish yield curve because it's, you know, the underlying strength is there. So uh, maybe that gives them enough confidence. Maybe I could ask you one last question, a little bit of a broader one in terms of longer term trends, you know, created by the pandemic and perhaps even affected by the war itself. We keep pushing back the timeline for when the supply chain is going to be fixed and sort of the, the outlook for when inflation is going to come down tends to hinge on that in part, and also the transition from goods consumption to services consumption. Is there a chance that the longer the supply chain remains fragmented, that it becomes broken in some kind of permanent way that makes it harder for usual for policymakers to address it, especially with monetary policy? Certainly, there are aspects of our supply situation that appear to be disrupted for an extended period of time, whether that amounts to permanent or semi-permanent remains to be seen, but I'll just mention a couple of them. Uh, the Ukraine situation, which is exacerbating current inflation, um, could very well, uh, the, the supply from Russia could very well be affected for the long term. And that also involves downstream uh, parties who, process the commodities coming out of Russia into final product. And I can certainly see that that could be semi-permanent because the sanctions on Russia and the response to Russians, Russians invasion of Ukraine has been so strong that I doubt it's just going to be turned off if there's a near-term resolution. Secondly, and you will remember this, Prior to COVID, some supply chains were being redesigned anyway to reduce exposure to China. So if you add that ongoing process with the Ukraine situation, you certainly have elements in the global supply picture that appear to have long-lasting kinds of features to them. That said, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of supply chains. I mean, there are many, many supply chains and networks uh, that are currently under repair and uh, businesses, uh, business leaders are not sitting on their hands and trying to return their supply picture to some kind of a stable normal. Uh, and they're not sitting on their hands in, in, as regards fixing the real problems in their supply chains. So, you know, I think uh, many uh, supply situations are likely to improve in the coming months. Um, and the Fed needs this to happen, quite frankly, because uh, they're taking the edge off the of demand, which can buy some time, but they can't completely restore the 
the stability and the, let's call it the reliability of the supply situation. I will mention your term semi-permanent kind of uh, evokes a, a, something that's more structural in nature that just cannot be dislodged. I will mention one other thing that, that is on my mind, and that is what I can call near structural, conceivably near structural elements in our tight labor market. It seems to me we've seen something of a sea change from pre-COVID to post-COVID. Uh, that includes some very subjective elements like attitude toward work, attitude toward work arrangements, uh, households that have relocated to cheaper environments and have reconsidered whether they need two incomes in the household uh, when, they're when they're facing uh, home care requirements of various kinds. Uh, so I, I simply, simply say I'm concerned that participation in the workforce does not come back as rapidly as the Fed hopes or assumes and that we're facing therefore wage pressure that will feed into inflation, will be passed on as long as businesses feel they can pass it on in a long-term way. Uh, maybe not permanently, but long-term. Really interesting points. We'll leave it there for now, but uh, we'll definitely have you back on at some point, Dennis, that was really great. Thank you so much for coming on FedSpeak.